For your awards consideration, Max presents Barry, the Emmy Award-winning HBO original series starring Bill Hader as a hitman for hire, desperately trying to shed his old life. While Barry has eliminated many of the external factors that pushed him towards violence, he soon discovers they weren't the only forces at play. Back for a fourth and final season, don't miss the critically acclaimed series Rolling Stone Calls Incredible, a masterpiece. All episodes of Barry are now streaming on Max. We're here today on Crew Call with filmmaker Stephen Capel Jr., who is behind the Paramount Hasbro reboot of Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Stephen, welcome. Thank you for having me, Anthony. Appreciate you. So talk about this Transformers. It's a more grounded human story in Dominic Fishback's Elena and Anthony okay. Ramos's Noah Diaz. That's the first thing that struck me about this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. I'm glad it did. Uh, I mean, you know, stepping into the franchise and it being movie number seven and you're trying to find different and unique ways into uh, your characters, especially the human ones, you know, because they're going to meet their Autobots or the robots, right, Transformers, and they're going to try to attempt to save the world, is usually the case in all the other Transformers films. Uh, and so in this particular case, it was very much, you know, how can I make their story arcs a little different? How can I make their background a little different? And a lot of the grounded sort of traits that you're feeling comes from the issues that they're facing, you know, with Anthony Ramos's character who feels like, you know, a man who reaches wit, like he's at, you know, the end of the ropes and trying to protect and or save his family, but feels like society has been like over him a bit, you know, and stepping over him and looking down at him. And so he has this like really cool, which I've been calling the zero to hero storyline, where it's like you can see his arc and progression uh, to believe in himself more because of the Autobots, because of Mirage. And the same with Elena. Um, her journey is like she's in the glass ceiling at work, which I feel like is really relatable, you know, especially as a black woman, you know, she can't, she's getting credit taken away from her at work. Um, she's not getting acknowledgement she deserves. And so she steps on this journey for self-fulfillment and ends up, you know, becoming a hero as well and helping save humanity. Um, so yeah, I think it's tough when you're doing Transformers because everything feels like, you know, save the world, big robots and Transformers, but I try to find like those little intimate connections that we can all relate to when dealing with characters. Was that immediate in the script when you came aboard? That were those two characters fully formed? No, no. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, to be honest, I think one of the characters, Elena's character was named like Lucia. And she was like, not that character at all. She just kind of worked at the museum and was like, oh, I can't even remember. She was like kind of half CIA agent undercover. It was something off the wall a little bit that I couldn't really track, um, not to get you lost in it. Uh, but no, it wasn't. And neither was Anthony Ramos's character. Um, his character didn't have that much backstory with the military and things like that. It was all stuff I added, things that I felt like fr I have friends and family members that have gone through it, um, especially with the, like his younger brother and like his disease that he's dealing with um, and sort of uh, the, the commentary, if you will, in Transformers movie on the, on the, the Medicare and health system that we have here in the States. Like that little stuff is just, it feels like everyday struggles that we don't really get to see in these sort of like huge movies, but they make it super relatable. And no, it was not in the script. Sorry, it wasn't in an earlier stage. So tell me about coming on board here. 
to the franchise. Did you meet with Emma Watts? Did you come in with lookbooks? Did you meet with Lorenzo? How did it all go down? Yeah. No, yeah. Uh, did you say Emma? Is that what you said? Yeah, Emma Emma, yeah. Emma Watts, who used to be oh, at the studio. God. To be honest, it was a little bit before that, too. It was Liz Repulso back in the day, like okay. 2018, 2019. Yeah. She was the first person that reached out. We had a meeting, and she says, uh, I would love for you to meet uh, Mark Verardian. And uh, we were trying to figure out if we want to make Bumblebee 2. That's what she told me. The sequel to Bumblebee. So this is right after Bumblebee was a success with uh, fans. And they really dug like his character and things like that. But I wasn't interested in a sequel at the time. Um, and then COVID had hit years later. And they came back to me. Um, and they said, hey, it's not a sequel. We're actually doing the Transformers movie. We want to introduce the Rise of the Beast. And this was... Uh, Mark Verardian at the time, uh, John Gonda, one of the execs there, Mike Ireland, um, that was a team. And then I met Lorenzo. And so they all sent me this script, early draft. Um, I think Joby Harold wrote, wrote the first one. And um, yeah, and I just dove in. You know, they wanted to keep New York. They wanted to keep Peru. But I changed a lot of the character stuff. Um, and, I, and I pitched that to them. I was like, look, I want to, if I'm doing this and there's like a lead, black and brown lead, like I want to tell a hero story. Uh, I was coming out of 2020, which was a tough year for me. Uh, I lost one of my close friends, my best friends, and uh, I was making all these dramas. I was like developing dramas, and I was like, I kind of want to do something uplifting, especially if the the theaters are opening again, you know. Um, and so this project became like that perfect device and vehicle to do so. And uh, they were on board, you know. I told them I wanted to have this guy be turned into a transformer at the end of the movie, Noah, the main character, you know. And they're like. That's crazy. We haven't done that before. And I'm like, well, it's in the 1986 animated film, which is actually my favorite Transformers movie. And um, it was stuff like that that they gravitated towards. And I think they kind of found that I was like a, a low-key a, a Transformers nerd, if you will, uh, when it came down to it. This is great. So you had serious, serious input on the script. Yeah, I had a lot. Yeah, I had a lot. I mean, I, I didn't know. Uh, I developed Scourge a bit. He went through several drafts. Um, he wasn't in the original script. Uh, Unicron, the big bad, he wasn't in the original script. I brought him in. He was, uh, he was, he's someone that, you know, for the fans, we've always wanted like this villain. We wanted to see him. We wanted to give this guy a voice. And uh, I say we, cause I'm a fan as well, but like, you know, he was always sort of, uh, hinted at in the other Transformers films. And we've never really seen him in a live action again with the voice and as a planet, um, and got CSIs. And so, I want to introduce that, you know, I wanted to create something that would have a through line for the next few movies to come. And um, I wanted to set, I wanted this to be the foundation. So there's a lot of pieces in this film um, that is just the starting mark for where we want to go. You know, Michael Bay is a producer on this. Can you talk about conversations you had with him? Yeah. And also you making this your style, because here's the thing. Transformers films are fast. It's definitely a fast film. But it really takes its moments. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's slow. It just, it has a nice, it, has, it breathes. You give it time to breathe. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I would definitely take more time to breathe if I could in certain areas. Um, I think it was it's, it's tough when you start to realize how much robots actually cost. <laughs> and that's something that Michael Bay taught me. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. Like having conversations with him early on. I remember I was in Peru scouting. So I had already gotten the gig, if you will. 
And I was already, uh, he was busy, sorry, during the process of pitching and all that, he was busy, busy making a movie called Ambulance. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. That's what he was directing. And so uh, gave me the blessing. I guess he saw my movies in the past and was like, hey, man, Michael Bay said everyone signed off on me directing the film. And then afterwards, he's like, hey, man, I've been dying to talk to you. He was in post in um, Ambulance. And I'm like, I have a ton of questions. Like, I watched all the movies and, like, he really pulled off some difficult stuff and visually, like, really captured the Transformers well. And um, I told him the direction of the film. He had read the script. And he was like, you have a lot of emotional parts, you know, in a good way. He was like, there's some really cool stuff in here. He was like, but uh, you have to manage, like, shot counts. And, like, remember, every time you see a robot or the robot's face, you know, that's going to cost money. He's like, that's why he tend to lean towards the action and, and the bigger scope sort of shots because uh, that's where you want to spend it. But for me, I was like, I want to, I want people to feel Optimus Prime. I want them to have an arc. And so, uh, you know, I had to get trickier or creative, I should say, with the coverage that I would get because uh, I was trying to go in for a close-up on a robot that had no action in it, you know? It was just him talking, which then you're asking the studio and everyone else to pay tons of money for just a reaction shot from Optimus Prime or Air Razor or any of these characters. And it's like, it's not an action shot. It's literally just a reaction shot. And so, um, yeah, I would say like, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what we came out with. You know, it was tough. There's, to your point about quiet and subtle moments, there's definitely, uh, I would do more if I could. You know, I would do more character work with all the uh, robots and Transformers, but I had to be really precise on which ones. Um, and he taught me that early on. For your awards consideration, Max presents Barry, the Emmy Award-winning HBO original series starring Bill Hader as a hitman for hire, desperately trying to shed his old life. While Barry has eliminated many of the external factors that pushed him towards violence, he soon discovers they weren't the only forces at play. Back for a fourth and final season, don't miss the critically acclaimed series Rolling Stone Calls Incredible, a masterpiece. All episodes of Barry are now streaming on Max. How many visual effects shots does the movie have? Oh my gosh. Are we at, uh, I have one of the producers here now. Are we over 2,000, Bernie? Uh, <laughs> yeah. 1,500. We, we cut it down to 1,500? Get out of here, do we? <laughs> Sorry, I think we're at 1,500. So I got one of the producers. This is my right-hand man, Bernie. He's a uh-huh. co-producer on the project, and he knows these kind of numbers. Yeah, I think we might, I'm going to say anywhere between 15 to 18. I'm going to guess that. Um, at originally, we were at like 23, I want to say, 2,500, um, which is quite a bit. You know, and I remember Bay saying from the jump, like, you want to get it around like 1,100. Like, that was his thing. And so we may have ended up with 1,500. Um, I'm not sure. But that includes also like green screen, like car work, and not every shot is a robot, you know, um, fighting. How does that work when it comes to those action scenes on the page? Like, for example, you know, in the finale, the big battle scene down in Peru, is everything spelled out line by line each move? Or is there kind of a general note in the script? Yeah. Yeah. Like Optimus Prime goes after Scourge. And then and then from that point, the VFX people and you kind of have this creativity of, okay, he's going to left hook him. He's going to right hook him. He's going to knife him. Yeah. Is it does it get really boiled down to details in the script with these VFX action scenes? It it does. Some. No, it does. In some areas we get really detailed and others we have a little bit more freedom or a little more loose. 
Um, so for me, I would go script phase. It's uh, Scourge. Let's go beat the hell, beat the hell out of uh, Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, I want it to be brutal. I want it to hurt. I want to make sure we fill the punches. I'm going to bring in my my fighters and stunt crew from Creed, right? And mm-hmm. then so I'm like, can y'all do some visuals? And they'll do some visuals. We call it pre-viz. They'll shoot like stunt choreography. I'll show the visual effects team. You know, maybe I need to work on the walk a little bit or how he punches, but they can see the overall action. Uh, sometimes we'll do storyboards. Um, but in this particular case, since it's action, uh, I can show the actors this now, right? I can say, look, this is how Optimus Prime gets beat up. So everyone could see, and then we'll send it off to the visual effects house and they start to work on it. Then there's some areas that are a little bit more challenging, right? When you say Peru, there's a sequence where, you know, um, uh, I can't spoil it, but, you know, Air Razor's flying in the air. Someone's giving her a chase. I won't say who. Um, and that scene, we need some. We need the locations first. We need to storyboard. We need to previs, um, which are all like stages of like helping us sort of visually see the movie before we actually get on set. And then we try to be as precise as possible with getting that shot. You know, the framework, making sure both robots or three robots can fit in the frame. Um, and we go through those stages, making sure there's a wire rig, if Elena needs to fly in the air, um, all those kind of things go into play. But we have to do it on location. And for us, that was really challenging because we were shooting in Peru where, you know, no one's ever shot a movie, especially this big there. And so it was really tough because we were going into territories that like people don't even hike or walk through. You know, we're in the real jungles in, of the Amazon and Terrapoto and things like that. So it was hard to bring equipment. It was really tough, so we would have to adapt on the fly sometimes and things like that. But we try to plan it to the T as much as we can, but we had no control over that environment in Peru, man. It was like, it was its own beast, if you will. Is that a real festival that goes on in the in Peru? It is. Um, unfortunately, that year, they weren't, it, because of COVID, they weren't able to do it. There were certain protocols, and so it was really cool for us to have the opportunity to bring people in. Uh, those who actually run the festival, uh, the designers of the festival, choreographers of the festival. Because that festival, what it does is it grabs people and in, in, in cultures from different regions of Peru, and they all come to here and celebrate the, the God, Son of God. And so for us, we're like, man, I would really love to showcase their, their, their history and their culture here. So we brought everyone in, and we ran it like it was you know, their own festival, even during uh, COVID, and we brought a lot of extras out. So we got to at least experience it in a year that was also tough for them as well. What was the name of the location? In, oh, sorry. It's Inti Rami is the festival, Inti Rami, and we were in Cusco. Going back to the visual effects, in each movie, going back to 2007, you notice a little bit of development in the VFX. I want to say in the original 2007 film, the eye doesn't really catch everything as they transform between vehicle and robot and robot and vehicle. Mm-hmm. What can you say about the visual effects here when it comes to the Transformers? Is it more detailed oriented? What are the goals of the VFX when you go into the film? It's like, okay, in this film, we're going to do X. Yes. So there were two things. It's very detail oriented. Um, uh, one is uh, the textures of the robots themselves. I want it to be more realistic. So our colors aren't as bright as you would in the other films. I wanted a certain level of grit. Uh, I was going for like, look, they're talking robots, but I wanted them to look as real as possible. And so even when they got beat up, if you play close attention, if they got beat up as a car, you'll see a, a, a bruise on them as a robot and vice versa. You know, and I thought that was kind of cool. I'm like, they should have a dent or Optimus Prime should have 
something on his 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 sleeve, so to speak. Um, and so we try to stay true to that. Um, and then one crazy thing is that as uh, the other films kind of evolved throughout the years, to your point, uh, I don't want to say you lose, but they didn't keep like the the nature or, or the look of a car or a vehicle, right? They started to just look like robots to me, you know, and uh, to some fans. And so going back to G1 and original designs, you're able to keep a lot of the car parts, which then if you do, it becomes much simpler in the parts you use. And then if you have that, you can get more details out of transformations because now you get to see each panel move. And it took a very long time for our transformations to happen. Like one's in the trailer with Bumblebee as he transforms and says, what's up for his first intro. You could damn near see every single car door and panel move during that transformation because we made sure it fit. Same with Optimus Prime and even the Maximals, which I, I felt like we broke new ground for us because we went this route where the textures were more organic and Optimus Primal had a little fur and there's more details in the eyes and face and a little bit more details in the panel so they can emote more because it can get really stiff if they don't have it. And those kind of things are really cool visually, but they also help us with the transformations. So we're not hiding transformations. Um, sometimes we, sometimes we would definitely you watch the movie. There's probably a couple that we don't spend too much time on because we're like, Oh, this is really quick. Uh, it's not as important as the other ones, and you know these, these things. These things take time and money, um, but the real big ones, the real important ones, uh, the cool ones. I wanted to make sure that we saw every panel transform, and we got to actually see like a toy would back in the day, you know, transform and get into place. And um, those were the things I set out in the beginning: tone and making sure there was a lot of detail in it. It always sounds weird talking about robots. <laughs> transform <laughs> in every in two and a half years it still sounds weird talking about <laughs> well i'm sure you know you know you're talking about you know your emotional drive there scourge you know can you yeah. find your core can you go back to your basic speaking of which the voiceover actors and you have you have a murderer's row here with pete davidson and michelle yao and uh, among others did you get them all into a studio to record or was it typical COVID where people are recording their parts remotely? Uh, the only ones I did remotely was probably Peter Dinklage. Okay. Because uh, he was shooting and he was also out in New York while we were in the West Coast. Cullen came in, Ron Perlman came in, MJ Rodriguez came in, John DiMaggio came in, Michelle Yeoh came in, Pete Davidson came in. Everyone was in person. Sorry, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'll make sure I don't. Yeah, everyone for the most part. I think Dinklage was the only one that I did. There's, I just met him in person finally. Like literally last night. It was crazy. Like, <laughs> gave him a huge hug, man. Like he's the nicest guy. And he's so talented. He's on my bucket list of actors I want to work with, uh, as well as Michelle Yeoh, who's freaking amazing uh, as a person. But yeah, all these guys, I, I wanted to cast actors. And I also wanted voice actors who were like, um, um, I'll call them le legacy actors, if you will, in the VO world, like the John DiMaggio's, Dave Savaloff, um, Peter Cullen, of course, like these are legends in, in the VO world. And I was excited to work with them. But then I also want to highlight some new actors. We have great voices. Coleman Domingo, who plays Unicron. God, his voice is just so deep. And uh, I watched him in Euphoria and was like, God, look at his voice. And to be able to work with him on this project was amazing. Uh, he also came through person, but everyone wanted to get that experience because when you're in the room with them working on voice work, we get to play a little bit more. You're watching the scenes right there on the big screen um, and we get to really dive into the craft. And it's just it's a different energy when I get to 
come out of, like from behind the booth and just go in a room and either act out things that aren't on the screen yet and really like uh, dive into arcs or talk characters or rewrite lines right there on the spot to make it fit one of the bad guys or the good guys. Um, so yeah, it's just a different environment, but we actually got to be in the booth and record their faces, which is huge for us because we try to mimic their faces as much as possible when we start to design the characters, you know what I mean? Like Pete Davidson, we casted him a little later during the process. And when we finally got him, he improv so many damn lines and they were so funny. It was worth going back and changing a lot of the facial reactions and how Mirage's face actually looks to match a little bit more of Pete Davidson's persona because it was so good. And we're like, we love it. We don't want to lose any of this stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's stuff like that, that, you know, the magic happens when you're all in a room, but I still was able to work with Peter Dinklage because he's such a professional. Uh, he's just really good. Are you signed on for the next movie? I am not officially signed on for the next movie. Uh, I think we're we're in the works now, uh-huh. um, but I'm not officially signed on. Uh, so but, you're in you talks, know, which is a I'm good thing. I'm in talks. I'm, I'm in That's talks. That's great. Um, I set up a lot of stuff in this film. And, you know, with the studio, myself, myself and the producers, every time we talk about the future, you know, there's a lot of we, the word we. So it's like <laughs> kind of naturally fell that way. But everything that I was planting here was for the future, you know. So, uh, yeah, you yeah, were in talks. Well, you dropped. We got to talk about that ending. You know, mm-hmm. is that is that's easily the next step? The synthesis? For, for me, it would be for sure. I would I would love to. Um, I would love to. I have some ideas on how to branch out that um that part of the IP and Hasbro IP and franchise. Um, and if I can do this crossover that I plan on doing, I think there's a way to still feed the fans what we want in Transformers films, but also do something cool with another uh legendary uh IP, so to speak, that I've always fell in love with since a kid. And there's parts of it and characters of that IP that we just never used before. And uh, I would be excited and thrilled to like incorporate it and do something really cool and special. You know, I, I read the Marvel comic books, you know, of, of these Hasbro properties. And I got to think there was a crossover comic book, if I remember correctly. For, for, for this one? Yeah, for sure. What I'm, what I'm trying to do with this? Uh, yes. Yeah. A hundred. That's, that's what inspired it. No, a hundred percent. Like I, uh, when I when I was developing the script, it just wasn't in the original script, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. When I was developing the script, I got to the end of the movie and I was like, okay, we got a really cool arc with Noah Diaz's character and the military. And he's kind of bittersweet about his experience and, you know, has a mark on his record and can't provide his family. It'll be cool if the military or an organization, a government organization took care of his problems, you know, to kind of mend what the, the beef was in between it. I was like, I think it'll be a great ending. And then I was going through the different like CIA, FBI, Sector 7. And I'm like, none of them really sing, man. I'm like, is there anything else in this franchise? Mm-hmm. And then um, I was like, man, I just, I remember the graphic novel. I have it. I own a, a few of them. There's like four that I have. And I was like, this is kind of crazy. I don't know if the studio's going <laughs> gonna like this and i remember pitching it to lorenzo first and i was like lorenzo one of the producers yeah yeah and i'm like lorenzo like this is what i'm thinking and i remember his eyes lighting up and being like i do he's like i do remember the graphic now he's like this would be crazy like i feel like i saw the excitement and he's like i don't know how it's gonna play with the studio he's like but let's put it in the script like let's let them read the whole script and then get back to us so they could have that wow factor so i didn't pitch it to the studio and we just placed it in the script and the studio was like, oh my God, bro, when we got to the end and read that, 
Like it was crazy. We didn't even think in uh, uh, like a lot, a lot of people didn't even know that there was a crossover. This graphic novel even existed because um, it's very few. It's not a lot. You know, I remember it. Yeah. I remember it. And so when we did it, we're like, man, and we were all like, OK, so what next? I was kind of like, here it is. I was like, I would love to do it. But uh, I know there's a lot of uh, 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 names we got to get past and, and, and legacy producers and creators and all this stuff. I know it's not going to be the easiest sort of thing. And it took two years, you know, to get everybody on board uh, with this idea and concept. And um, yeah, it, it literally, we dropped it in. I kid you not, uh, probably a month ago, right before oh, wow. the movie. I shot the scene and I had Michael Kelly on set and we did one version. And uh, some people saw this in the test screenings, which was Sector 7. Uh-huh. And uh, he, he read the Sector 7 script and it, when Michael Kelly was on stage and I handed him the alt sides, like the alt script, he flipped out. He was like, what? He was like, I was like, dude, we didn't want to tell your agent. We didn't want to tell anybody because we've been keeping it so close to the chest. But we've been pushing this direction for a couple of years now. He was so good. Yeah. And he's like, dude, this is amazing. Yeah. So that's how oh, it man. happened, man. Yeah. That's great. Steven, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, man. Appreciate it, Anthony. And uh, thank you for the great conversation and, and pleasure meeting you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.